When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Book Riot Podcast, a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. This is episode 220. We're recording on Friday, July 28th, 2017. I'm Jeff O'Neill. I'm here with Amanda Nelson. We're coming to you from bookriot.com. Amanda, it's been a while. It has. Yes. Hasn't it been a while? It feels like it's been a while. Y'all need to go on vacation more often. I know. <laughs> well, now that we have your partner of crime over on Get Book, Jen, yes. so you guys kind of flip out for us. So then you, it's like your your site. It's like your Haley's Comet cycle is now 148 years, <laughs> rather, whatever, 76 years. I have so much ranting right? saved up inside of I, me. I know. Well, I, I t- I'm teeing you up here uh, at the front. So I got we got a lot of follow up about the ambiguous pen names um, that men are using to basically sell psychological fiction about women to women. I think that's the, I mean, my voice is hesitating only insofar as I'm trying to articulate, but that's what's happening, right, yes. Amanda? Like, that's what's happening with these. That is what's happening. That's what, and people don't like it. And, and I think there was a, there was a we got a couple emails that were pointing out um, Final Girls by Riley Sager in particular as being, I, there was a, I can't remember who wrote it, I'm sorry, but uh, I'll, give you, I'll give you emotional credit. Um, if not specific credit for saying, you know, the initials didn't bother her as much because people write with initials. Um, you know, maybe it's not cool, but to have an invented name where you are, bas- I mean, Riley. If you ask someone, hey, this is this is Riley. Would you guess that they are, you know, um, gen- identify as male or female? Ninety uh, percent of us say female, right? Name. For yeah, Riley, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, that's I don't that's not even like Chris or something right. where I'm trying to think of something else like Riley I don't think I've ever heard of a of of someone who identified as as a, as a man being uh, going by Riley and that was the one and someone had actually bought that book and thought they were um, supporting a female author and that that it mattered for their point of view of what happens in the book and we're really upset yeah really upset about it um, so. Anyway, and, and I mean, what is your sense? Are, do you do you think the initial stuff is as bad? I mean, I don't know. It feels like a little bit blurry of our line, but maybe I'm giving people too much credit. I don't. Uh, it feels equally squicky to me because the, either way, the motivation is to fool a reader into thinking right. you're a woman writing about the particular experiences of women. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And when we ran a post about this on the site, and we got some comments from men that were like, well, women, you know, especially, I mm-hmm. guess, in science fiction and fantasy have been doing the pen name thing for forever. I mean, J.K. Rowling, sure. whatever. But they're doing, Jemison, yeah, right. they're doing that specifically to overcome sexism. Meanwhile, these men are doing it specifically to take advantage of yeah. that. And it just feels very um, condescending to me <laughs> and, and, yeah. and sneaky. And I don't like it. I don't like it. Men yeah. don't need a leg up. Like, the mystery thriller genre is already dominated by dudes. The fact that Women have finally started making some inroads in financial success with, like, Girl on the Train and stuff like that does not mean that, like, mm. they should automatically turn around and try to exclude them further. It bothers me. And I think the people that make the argument that women write with initials so that people don't aren't prejudiced against them for being a woman <laughs> for writing in a particular genre, really any book, I mean, there's 
I, mean, I guess only romance probably has a, you know, pro woman. You know, it, you get more of an advantage by writing a romance as a woman. I'm not really sure I know enough about that to say if there is one, it's romance. Everything else, I can't think of another genre where a, a male name, a male voice is implicitly already given an advantage. It it matters because power matters. Like I guess that's what people make the false equivalents. Well, women do. It's like, well, yeah, but the direction of power matters. Where you're starting, like it from matters. Is, is where important. you're starting from matters. Yeah. It's kind of like when I mean, we're still getting some people writing to us about the police distribution program in Wichita. I don't know if you followed that story, yeah. Amanda, mm-hmm. at all, and, or what Rebecca and I were saying about it. But people are still like, but it's can't we just can't we just celebrate? I always feel like can't we just is a, excusing some behavior that people don't want to think about too hard. If people start, it's the it's the well actually <laughs> of like of like you know want to be neutral. You know, can't we just can't we just celebrate books? I was like, no, we can't. There, it matters. The direction matters. The power matters. Like. I was talking to someone about this in um, Meat Space the other day, and they're like, eh, it seems weird. I was like, well, think about it this way. If it matters, if, if someone, not every gift of Lolita is the same. Yeah. If I give it to a 45-year-old friend of mine who's a man, that's a different kind of exchange than if I were to give it to a 14-year-old girl. Like, that's, I'm sorry, that's different. That and that's, that matters. Like, the direction matters. So if it is the case that direction can matter, then... It does. Then, then we apply it to different situations. I think that's what people are missing about these stories, that they don't really want to or can or are interested in acknowledging that directions of power really matter. Um, so I think, I, think that's, I think that's all we need to say about it. Um, do you, you, you do library stuff too a lot, you and me? Both are doing a lot of library yes. these days, or do you get enough galleys? No, well, um, forget booked. My uh, my podcast, ah. I, almost all those questions are about backlist, so I'm I'm way deeper into the library and backlist now than I used to be. So, th- for those of you who don't know, if you've been listening to the show, you should. That um, Amanda and Jen host Get Booked, which is a weekly show, comes out on Thursdays, mm-hmm. where they answer specific or specific <laughs> they answer specific reader inquiries about book recommendations. So, um, go check that out. It's a really good show, and you can get lots of book recommendations. I think the thing, fun thing, thing about that show is, even if your your own recommendation isn't being responded to, you still hear lots of interesting stuff and stuff you may not be as interested in. So, it's a good discovery. Uh, I hate to use that word, uh, location for that as well. I, I guess where I was coming around to ask is then, do you buy books these days? Like, how much no. money are you actually spending on books? No. Yeah. Oh, well, actually, I did. There was, uh, oh, gosh, this is such a deep dive into, like, the, dram- the drama of Twitter, of book Twitter. Oh. Um, but there was a bit of a kerfluffle on Twitter recently about uh, When Dimple Met Rishi, which is a, a YA yes. contem- contemporary romance or, like, rom-com that just came out. Um where people were being really critical of the main character in that book, who's a girl who like throws a coffee on a guy who's trying to hit mm-hmm. on her. And then uh, there was similar criticism of The Bone Witch by Rin Chapeco. Uh, and so there was this whole big conversation around like white women in publishing and the book industry criticizing books mm. by women of color, like holding them up against these metrics where their characters have to be completely perfect or else and all this kind of ridiculous stuff. So I went out that day and bought both of those books and paid full price at Barnes & Noble to like mm-hmm. make a point. Um, but other than that, no, I don't I don't really uh, okay. spend money on books. Yeah. Unless I'm like specifically uh, trying to support an author. Yeah, because one of the things we asked about in the ambiguous pen names, and may, maybe maybe that framing is even wrong. Because like Riley Sager, we just decide is not ambiguous, right? Yeah, no. Of 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 uh, I, I guess kind of um, identity camping. I'll call it that. I like that better. Um, 
was how much people were being thoughtful about where their book dollars were going. Mm-hmm. And uh, we got a more more than the opinions about the ambiguous uh, the the identity camping. We got a lot of people saying, "Yeah, I do care about where my dollars go." Um, and I bought Dimple with Rishi myself on Kindle before that kerfluffle um, because you know I try to. I try to the actual dollars I spend. Mm-hmm. I try to go towards uh, people of color for the books. Yeah, same. Whether it's on and a lot of my, a lot of my actual book dollars are my, is my Audible subscription. Frankly, oh um, yeah. I do the I do the three credit a month. Um, so I try to I try to make those, um, books by people of color. Um, a lot of my, a lot of my book buying right now, I'm buying used books for reference for annotated, which, which. Amanda, I have to say, is really itching my academic slash book collecting. <laughs> I knew it was. I knew so it. So bad. I listened to the last episode about the Glamorous Librarian. I was like, Jeff loved this. <laughs> oh my God, Amanda. <laughs> the shelf at the, the Book Riot office, and Sharifa is slowly seeing it get filled up, is all of like literary and publishing history. And all my endorphins are like shooting out oh of my, my body gosh. into space. So Sharifa it's is amazing. our associate editor who lives in Portland and shares yes. an office space with Jeff. Yeah, she comes in. She comes in. She'll see that we have this big white bookshelf that's like slowly filling up with increasingly nerdy literary and publishing history. I can't. I can't. I would say what's on my desk, but I don't want to give away the show. Um, oh, yeah. the, what I'm working on right now. That's that's what we call a tease in the business. Also, if you haven't listened to um, annotated yet and you're interested in trying, I think the most recent one that's out now uh, is the best one we've done. We've only done three, but I think this is the best one. And people are saying. It's the best one, which is a backhanded compliment saying, well, the first two weren't that great. No, I think they were all fine. (laughs) But this one, I think um, the story is right, and it's a thing that people don't know about um, mostly. And uh, it's got a twist in the middle. That's what we call a hook. It it just, it was was a really interesting story. Um, One of those stories where the name, the person that's about, the the title of the episode is The World's Most Glamorous Librarian, and and the woman's name is Belle DaCosta Green. And I read just kind of a throwaway line about her in a different book. And I, and I did sort of one of those like record scratch, like pause mm. in the middle of the movie moves, like what? <laughs> um, because the fact about her, which would spoil the show to some degree, so I'm not going to say it. Got me saying like, what in the hell? And so there was, there's a big backstory. So go check out annotate. Go to bookwrite.com/annotate. Go check out, or you go bookwrite.com/listen. You can find, you know, get booked and all the books and annotated right there. Um, but that's, but anyway, that's that's one thing I've got to say though. There's not a lot of literary history written by people of color. No. Um, which I guess I'm not surprised by because mostly literary history is about white people. Um, but even, you know, I don't know. That, that's one thing I'm finding a bit hard is like, I want to get someone who knows something about um, George Orwell. That's all white dudes, uh, mostly. So it, that's one thing I'm working on. And I'm, if you know uh, books about literary history, b- literary biographies, publishing history, book history, printing history by people of color, Please shoot me an email, podcast at bookwrite.com. I will go buy them full price. Right what would you now. even call Absolutely. it? Is it like the hi- the historical study of history is historiography? Is there like a, an equivalent? Uh, well, I mean, literary history. <laughs> li- lit- no, because literary history is mostly about lit- like the history of art writing as art. And I'm more interested in annotating like all the other. I mean, that's part of it too, but I like publishing history. Mm-hmm. I like print history. I like book selling history. Um, so I don't know what's weird. It's like I went to school for a million years to study literature and we never talked about the economics of publishing. Oh, well, I mean, isn't that crazy in hindsight? That seems insane to me. It's not, anyway. 
surprising. I mean, you don't want to like yeah. dirty the art, you know. Yeah, well, like someone invented book publishing as we know it. This guy named, um, uh, I think his name was John Johnson, like 1578. Before then, all presses were vanity presses. You would take your book to this printer and then have them printed and sell your own copies, right? We call it, it's weird that we call that self-publishing today, right? Mm -hmm. But this one guy, he's like, you know what, what I'm going to do, I'm going to commission books because I know what I want to sell, but I don't have the book. So he commissioned people to write them, invented the modern publishing industry as we know it. It's weird to think that needed to be invented, but it totally did. And it, it really changes the way, you know, that publishing houses own the IP and how that all works. They have all the power. Like, you know, it's weird. That but is not what the next episode is about, y'all. No, it's not. <laughs> maybe some episode. If Yeah, maybe I gave away the farm there, but um, at some future episode. I think that might be an interesting thing, like inventing the, the publishing industry as we know. Like, there's not a word for that. Historiography, like, yeah. I don't know, but annotated about this whole goddamn mess. Uh, <laughs> you know, that's what it is. Books reading in this whole goddamn mess. New tagline. That goes into it. Uh, let's do our first uh, do our first sponsor, Book Pop. Let me tell you about Book Pop real quick. You know, when I do these ad reads, um, I sometimes want to like be real crazy and and do entertaining episodes. And Book Pop, I was like, what could Book Pop be? But what it is, book it's an online Comic-Con. Like, I couldn't make up anything more fun than that. Like, Quirk's authors will be taking over its social uh, social accounts, visiting sites across the web, and sharing original content on QuirkBooks.com. So QuirkBooks, I don't know if you know, people may know that they're a publisher. They do a lot of interesting stuff. Um, they've, been, they've been very supportive of us and what we do there. Um, and like any great con, Quirk is giving away awesome swag, and they're hosting a digital... Um, cosplay contest and has partnered with geeky companies for an amazing grand prize so if you want to participate it's friday july 31st through august 11th so by the time this show comes out this weekend this show will be released on july 30th so really starting this monday july 31st through august 11th you can go to quirkbooks.com slash book pop um, to find out how you can participate. Prizes from Out of Print, Friend of Ours, Cards Against Humanity, and a whole bunch more. Um, the contest will be judged by Geekerella author Ashley Poston. Interact with your favorite Quirk authors for Facebook Live and Instagram Live. Full schedule can be found, quirkbooks.com slash book pop. They, they, the, they picked the right show. They, they picked the right partner <laughs> to advertise with. Um, have you ever cosplayed before? No, I have not. No. Because I don't go Your outside. tattoos are enough. You got tattoos. Yeah, well, that's true. Also, well, anyway. Wait, no, I thought I, you were Bellatrixal Strange one time for Halloween, right? That's not really. Yes, yes. I, got to that. I that, was thinking, like. Uh, does Halloween count as cosplay? I don't know the sort of subtler definitions. No, I don't know the. I con. think cosplaying is like going to a con, right? Like you have to. Going to a con? Go to a, like you're dressed up when you go to a conference or like a, like a thing. So if I'm dressed up as like um, Captain Ahab at home, yeah. that's not technically cosplay? I don't think so. I think that's just weird. <laughs> <laughs> it's weird. It's weirder that you have to go out into public to normalize it. No, no. It. Like if you're going to a con situation. with other people who appreciate the same sort of thing and you're having like a group celebration, that's one thing. If you're just at home with like a sailor hat yelling about white girls. Well, I tell you what, it was cutting off my leg that was the hard part. That was that was a tough one. Amputation is no oh. joke. That is a show. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> uh, anyway, so if you know more about cosplay than clearly Amanda and I do, <laughs> tell me what like what are what are the bound what do I have to do? 
with my Captain Ahab costume to to qualify as cosplay? Can I can I just dress up in front of my a mirror if I have people in my home? Like, do I have a party at home? Do can I? Is it costume or do I have to be like out at some sort of themed uh, event that I am myself not hosting uh, for it to count as cosplay? We're more off the rails than I usual. I know, Amanda. I know. I've just been well, look, we actually I have spent bo- all morning looking at like videos of Mitch McConnell looking glum. Oh, and God. it's been like very distracting and I've got <sighs> nothing done. It's so satisfying. Well, we actually do have st- new there's actually news this there week. There is. Um for late July, a little weird. I guess we'll we'll, we'll take that political tip. Um Morgan Jerkins, friend of the site, I would say. Someone we know. She used to, she Writer used to we know. I don't know if she's us, a friend. Yeah. She uh, well, that's true. That's true. Uh, so former writer had a piece in the New Republic, very salient to Book Riot podcast interest, and the the headline is "Is Trump ruining book sales?" Um, and Morgan's basically premise is people are saying that it's difficult to get attention for a book right now because the political world is on fire. I mean, <laughs> I, I don't know what to put too yeah. much. Uh, I don't have to put too much English on that particular pool shot. Um, and the, the 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 article is talking to people saying it's hard to get people to care about, it's hard to get people to care about books. Um, and then, yeah, but I think we're talking about it on this show because I think this is wrong, um, basically, or different than how she is really, really casting it. The, the one meta stat she has is, according to Publisher Weekly, in 2016, there were no breakout bestsellers in adult fiction. Sales were down by 1%. Uh, and the first half of 2017, there was still no breakout hit for adult nonfiction or fiction. I guess sure. <laughs> that is true. But as we talked about, I think, two weeks ago on the show, print sales are up. for the first half of 2017 over 2016, over the first half of 2016. So that on its face suggests that the headline, at least, of this is wrong. If you want to use those, if you want to use that, the headline would be, why is Trump good for book sales? (laughs) Right? I mean, that would be the the weird spin. Um, What do you, what do you, why is Morgan writing this piece? Is she getting at some truth that's not about stats here? What do you make of it? I am unsure. I think like the the lead quote in the post is a, a quote from Alana Massey, whose uh, debut essay collection came out in 2015, and she sold it for like six figures to Grand Central and all this kind uh-huh. of thing. Um, and she was told that the book was coming out at a really bad time, that books that weren't political or like you know dystopian or apocalyptic or whatever weren't really Mm -hmm. selling um and i think maybe the grain of truth in this idea is that trump is not he's not ruining book sales he's maybe uh putting the putting readers attention on a certain kind of book Mm. or different or altering altering what we want to buy right like generalized nonfiction and literary fiction have not had breakouts this year but like Hillbilly Elegy was certainly a mm-hmm. breakout work of nonfiction. And yeah, like, definitely. Um, Hope in the Dark, Rebecca Solnit's essay collection about what to do when you're an activist and you feel like your your work is worthless also had a big, made a big splash. Yeah, and big. so there, I just don't agree with this at 
all. I mean, maybe it's not a great time to be writing like literary fiction about rich people problems or whatever. Or a debut essay collection that's about your 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 own individual experience. Like maybe, yeah. I can see how maybe it's hard to care about that or harder to care. I mean, I think that's hard to care about anyway, frankly. Yeah. Debut essay collections getting a six. Yes, that's you know, Sometimes books bomb. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. That, that seems, the causal, the causal relationship is hard to suss out. Um, you can say that, well, Trump is in office, and then you have some data about book sales. And I guess if you say that adult fiction and nonfiction are down, and also Trump is in office, ergo Trump is causing book sales to go down, I guess you can say that, but we don't know. Other things is sometimes there aren't breakout hits. Like we've had years where there's not a big fiction breakout hit. But I think Hellbilly Elegy is a breakout. Yeah, yeah. It came out at the end of last year, I think, but it's selling well. Um, I mean, there are other hits like Everything Everything by Nicola Yoon is sold 400,000 copies this year. Uh, the Hate You Give by Angie mm-hmm. Thomas is a hit. Well, she does it's being say made into a movie. in this piece, like it's kind of not buried, but done at the bottom about, oh, where is it? Uh, yeah. The same identities that are being persecuted and demonized by the Trump administration are finding a warm welcome from an increasingly diverse literary audience. So I think that that's, that's true. Like maybe the the ivory tower literary fiction novel is not having like you, you know Jonathan Safran Foer wrote that book that right that did here I am that sold that nothing. Did nothing but the hate you give is doing is much well, I don't know if it's more I didn't read the Safran Foer so maybe it's awesome and totally relevant to the either. times we live in but yeah. it seems look, from looking on the outside that the hate you give is more relevant to what people are going through right now and what's in the news right now um yeah. but I feel like that's true of any presidency yeah I think well, I also think that's been a story about books that we've been seeing since we've been doing this site, right? Is like the pr- the primacy of literary fiction eroding over time yeah. and crossover in genre and YA and middle grade um, becoming more central. And I don't think literary fiction, I don't know if it's off the pedestal, but the pedestal is lower. I don't know what metaphor, I, know, I don't know what <laughs> um, pedestal metaphor I'm going here for, but the days in which, you know, it's it's been it's been several decades since James Michener could write eight hundred pages about a random island Boy. and sell four hundred thousand copies. Yeah, like those days are. I mean, those days are over. And I think, like, what was the last big literary fiction hit? Was like the Goldfinch. That was like three years ago. Oh yeah, maybe know. a little life. Was that? Would you consider that a big hit? Yeah, I guess. I don't know. I don't have a good sense of like. I have no idea how much that book sold. It was everywhere for a while. Yeah, it but. sold, but like, uh, I mean. The Underground Railroad is still selling. That book sold hundreds of thousands of copies. Mm-hmm. But is that literary fiction? Like that's also Whitehead's a weird case, yeah, right? It's I guess it is. And it also is speculative, isn't. whatever. It's also it's like literary speculative yeah. fiction, right? That, like that's his corner right now, which is an awesome corner to be on, and he's super good mm-hmm. at it. Um, but that is different than a debut es- essay collection about all the lives that I want about. You know, I, I don't or know. The essays that, from Nicholas that, Sparks and Candace Bushnell. There's got there's yeah, some that, other reasons why maybe that book did not sell. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say like I don't know I'm not sure about that. Um, I'm not sure. I think I think if you live in I'm sure that if you live during World War II, like books about I'm I'm sure that changed the tenor of what the books were. It, ruining book ruining bookshelves suggests to me that no one's buying books. You know, I think honestly the, the breakout bestseller of 2017 is The Handmaid's Tale. Yeah. Well, in Orwell. Yeah. I mean, selling like crazy. Right? Uh I'm I'm so, here for blaming Trump for a lot of things, but I don't think this is real. 
I mean, I, I can imagine, like, if I wrote, a, if, if you or I were, had, like, an essay collection coming out that wasn't necessarily political, it was about whatever, I can, I can see that that's a hard time mm-hmm. to sell that book. I, that, I totally buy that. But that's not ruining book sales to me. No. I mean, like, literally, that, that, that doesn't qualify. Up, so, like, the yeah, answer they to can't the headline is, is flatly no, but... Yeah, right. Mm. Does it make it hard? Is it make it hard for certain kinds of books? Yeah, but also... Handmaid's Tale is flying off the shelf. Um, Malka Older, in episode one of Annotated, I did an interview with her. She said her book sales are up since Trump I'm was elected. sure. Infomocracy? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Like Infomocracy, like all the political dystopia, anything that's, you know, I'm sure Philip K. Dix, Do Androids Dream of Electric? Like anything. Uh, uh, um, Octavia Butler mm-hmm. sales, I'm sure, mm-hmm. are up um, in, in this Certainly. way. Ursula Clay Gwynn, like... All the near future dystopian or even far future dystopian things that are overtly political, speculative fiction, or scientific. So, is that it gets those books are flying off the shelf? It's harder for some other books. Overall, book sales are I up. I saw Emily Gould tweet this morning um, after mm-hmm. the, you know, everybody was like in their gleeful feelings about the uh, ACA vote. Um, yeah. She was tweeting about how she really looks forward to a time when we can all go back to thinking about the nuances of literature instead of just trying to set out mm. societal fires. So I could see, like, if we're going to talk about Trump's effect on publishing or literature in general, I think that's it right there, is that artists are too busy marching and being activists and trying to save our country from despotism to, like, maybe write uh, yeah, the kind of books that, so. that we're used to reading or that we got used to reading during the Obama administration, maybe. But but nobody's going to be writing these, like, 900-page navel-gazy novels that people are going to want to read right now. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I also saw someone tweet. I don't remember. It was, like, a, a fairly famous person that I like their opinion. So I don't – it's this, the tweet struck me because I thought it was weird. It's like, do you remember when politics was boring? I missed those days. I'm like, boring for who, yeah. though? Yep. Like, <laughs> I guess, like, we can go back to thinking about art. But, like, going back to thinking about for who, though? Like, I think the political – the politicization, the overt politicization and, you know, we need diverse books is probably the most – I guess specific and well-known manifestation of that is the deep the 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 defanging of the idea that books are not political always already mm-hmm. to like borrow from well, literary theory. Well, we're talking theory, about publishing theory. and his effect on publishing as an industry, which is mostly white women, overwhelmingly white yeah. women. Then, right, it makes sense that 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 the industry's feeling much more shaken right now. Yeah, than it right. had been before. Right. So, like people who have always been writing work that's overtly political um, are right. kind of like, welcome. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's a great moment for Margaret Atwood, maybe a tough moment if you're Alice Monroe, just to use two Canadians oh, yeah. who are of the same generation of friends, right? Like, that's maybe a useful distinction. Like, they're both writers, and like, why does it matter that one is selling more than the other? Like, is that ruin? Like, does that matter? I think that's an interesting question. Um, I don't know. But like, art for the art sake of art writing, that that's having a hard time. Uh, Cry me a river, yeah, I guess, yeah, is I'm what not, I feel like really about that. that. I'm, not, I'm not sad about, about that. But if he does have any effect on the industry at all, I think that's that's the one that people are yeah. most concerned about. Is like, oh, we can't. I right. remember when um, when he first won the election, and Amanda Palmer, who I have deep problems mm. with, was like, yes, she yeah. tweeted something to the effect of, "Well, you know, he's going to be great for art, like how Nixon was great for punk rock in the '70s." And then she moved to Australia. <laughs> I <was> like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sure, yeah, he might be great I don't for know. art, but like a lot of people might die. So yeah, the pain, the pain that, that like, the the top of the pyramid that produces art like that. There's a lot of there's a lot of um, 
ice under that iceberg that's really crappy. <laughs> like, I don't know. That's a, that's a tricky spot to be in. Call me when he's gone. I'm going to... I mean, I, I think there's a there's something to be said about, like, how if, if, how this, our particular moment in Trump and all that he's mobilized and represents and authorized in public surely has an effect on the world of art. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's any question mm-hmm. about that. Whether or not it's that... that mobilization is to be lamented i think is a whole other can of worms yeah myself um i don't know or celebrated or welcomed with open arms or whatever like i don't know that we need to make a judgment about whether or not it's better or worse than some other timeline i, I don't know that that's all that helpful too soon uh, to me it's i mean too soon to tell too soon to tell i mean along these same lines though talking of someone abandoning literary fiction to talk about politics that's a segue. Oh, right hey, there, well done, well done. Um, Michiko Kakutani, the the most influential and most senior um, book critic at the New York Times Book Review, probably the most influential book critic in America, mm-hmm. um, and I guess by the law of transference, then maybe the most influential book critic in the world, I don't know, uh, stepping down as the lead critic at the New York Times Book Review, taking a buyout that my understanding of this is a, there's some inside baseball about the New York Times book review, which I think is interesting, if only to think about the state of journalism, is the New York Times is getting away from some criticism and opinion and also some of their very, very robust production department, which includes layout and designers and copy editors and proofreaders and on and down the line. And they're trying to shift um, salary dollars towards reporting away from some of these other areas. So I guess there's sort of an open buyout for certain classes of employees at the New York Times that if you want to take a buyout, you can. You don't have to. But then if they you do, they're going to use your salary to hire reporters. Is that your understanding of kind of what's yes. happening? Um, and Kakutani took one. And the reason, the uh, just again, this is, this is another doll inside the nesting doll, is most of these people are unionized, so they can't just be fired. They can't just be laid off. To replace their salary with someone else, so they have to, they have to opt in to this buyout, um, which is an incentive to get them to quit, so they can use their unionized salaries elsewhere. Anyway, and Kakutani took one. Uh, she's been there thirty-eight years. That's amazing. Uh, which is amazing. Um, she's sixty-two years old now, which means, I guess, because of math, uh, means means she was in her twenties when she got a job. I'm I don't know her biography about like what her timeline was. I'm sure she was brought on as a stringer, a reporter, or a daily editor or something like that and moved up on the rank. She wasn't hired at twenty some odd um to to do be the lead book critic, but over time also a super fascinating persona. Like so um, like hidden almost, you know? Yeah. Um, right. I, almost cloistered. Yes. Almost cloistered. The past yeah. few days, no, two days since yesterday that this has been announced, I have seen more images of her face than I had yeah. in my entire thirty some odd years on this yeah. planet. Like this news broke in Vanity Fair, and they had a picture for her from her like at a, having a glass of champagne at the Tribeca Film Festival in two thousand eight, and I was blown I away. Know. Like I was like, oh my god, that's a that's a current picture She's of her, and it's not even ten years who old. Exists outside, yeah. like. In my head, she yeah. never leaves her apartment. <laughs> right. And I used to joke about on the reading ape, I think, or somewhere like I wonder, like what what her day is like because she manifestly didn't give interviews, wasn't a public figure. Does she go into an um, office? I don't even know. I don't even know. There was a, I, I, if she would ever agree to it, wouldn't she be an interesting annotated episode, oh just like her? I would love. But to there was talk a story about. 
there's a story about the first Harry Potter book came out, and it was just like sitting out in the New York Times Book Review office, and she wasn't even assigned to it. She grabbed it, read it in one day, and wrote a review overnight. <laughs> like, so I don't know what that tells us about her job, but it tells us something. <laughs> you know, I mean, like, so anyway, um, I have I, notorious. I found this list. I love this from the cut of her all time best. Literary yes, I, I haven't read it yet, but I had bookmarked oh it God. to it's read amazing. later. saying like her. Um, I'm just going to read the sentence that she wrote about the discomfort mm-hmm. zone, which is Jonathan Franzen's mm-hmm. memoir. Uh, she says, Mr. Franzen turns his unforgiving eye on himself and succeeds in giving us an odious self-portrait of the artist as a young jackass, petulant, pompous, <laughs> obsessive, self, selfish, and overwhelmingly self-absorbed. And in response to that, Jonathan Franzen called her the stupidest person in New York City. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it feels like something like, and Norman yes. Mailer hates her because you ripped it. It feels like something from a different era, like more of a 70s, 50s, 60s, 70s New Yorker Paris Review, much smaller and insular literary world. Almost feels like a throwback to mm-hmm. that um, kind of relationship. But then I also saw, I think this was in the Vanity Fair piece or one of the other quick pieces someone did. Like she gave the corrections much later after the, that book a very positive review. So, she didn't hold grudges. Like she didn't I like. I feel like she was above. You know, Franzen. She did not care. Yeah, like, and maybe that was part of her deal was to stay above the fray so that she could judge pieces as much as she, as much as might be humanly possible, on their own merits. And I don't know, like, but also she had a very active Twitter feed too at the same time, which is which I <laughs> she find fascinating. Us sometimes, and every time she did, I was like, oh, yeah, dear in headlights. Like, yeah. She like one randomly day, like two years after I wrote the piece, retweeted my 17 movie starring bookstores. Like, I just want to know how, like, what, what were you doing that you came across that? Were you trolling our site? Were you doing random searches? I, I just, I have so Maybe many she questions. was just looking um, for a movie to watch. Yeah, maybe. she forgot maybe. the name She's of like, you know that Meg Ryan. Yeah, eighty four Charing Cross <laughs> World, which I actually didn't include on that list, and I will never hear the end of it. Every yeah. time we shared that post again, everyone's like, "Why didn't you put eighty four Charing Cross Road on?" I was like, "I don't know," because I make lists and I don't include yeah. things. Um, <laughs> News at eleven. Um, I'm gonna make a text I, expander for that for social media because <laughs> we made a list and we didn't put it in there. I don't know what do you want. <laughs> that, yeah, one of our um, one of our personal. Piccadillos or pet peeves, I guess. Piccadillos is an idiosyncrasy. 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 Jeez, come out. <laughs> out, out, damned verb or out, out, damned noun. So now. we um, were taking bets about who was going to replace yeah. Kakutani. Oh, yeah. Oh, thank you, you so much for remembering to give me credit. <laughs> I, I really appreciate that's very kind of you, even though I wanted them and told you to do it, but still very nice. <laughs> We, so we were guessing, like, who's going to replace her. I was kind of yeah. hoping Roxane Gay would get the spot, even though that's completely not going to happen. She's not a professional book reviewer at all. No. And the first... Well, I was saying this is a capital... I mean, I'll I'll, sell, I'll uh, Jonah Lehrer myself and self-plagiarize, but, like, this is a capital C critic job. Yes. Like, this is your job. Like, you want... you want your Your life is about reviewing books, which is... I would. Roxane Gay does review books from time to time, but I don't think she wants to make her life. No, about I think that. her more is like a pop culture critic. Yeah. Well, and even if you're writing novels, I don't know you can do this. Can you do this job if you want to do anything else? I don't know. Anyway, well, I guess we didn't. We maybe buried the lead before you get into the Jeff prop giving um, <laughs> segment of the show, which is will be by far my favorite segment we've ever done. Is Kakutani is moving on to? She wants to write more overtly about politics. Yeah. And I, it didn't say where she didn't. She's not getting a. She's not staying at the Times. Maybe freelance. Maybe she's going to write a book. I don't know. Um, 
But suggest that she wants to do something other than book reviews and can't do it as the lead um, reviewer suggests that you can't do it as a lead reviewer, right? Yeah, like you that's can't kind of a, yeah. Um, so I so I guessed right who it was, and it, again, if you pay attention at all to New York Times book review, why would you? Because you're that boring, like I am. Uh, it's um well, and, and we were throwing around ideas. And um, I was saying, kind of the next, and, and do you know how to say her name? I realize I've never heard her name said aloud. Do you have any idea? Parul Segal is how I've been. That's what I was yeah. going to say, but I don't know. Um, Parul Segal um, sort of seems like she's been taking on more roles. She's been getting some of the bigger titles and then some of the bigger opinion cornerstone pieces uh, at the New York Times Book Review. But she's going to be taking over um, as the lead book critic. I wondered if anyone would replace her. You know, because yeah. one thing Pamela Paul has been doing more is getting more outside people to write their lead reviews. Um, it's a way of diversifying their reviewer base. And I haven't done counts. Um, maybe Vita, they do more tracking of um, people of color. I, I think they do women of color, but they, I don't think they track men or non-binary people of color in their stats. But just from my anecdote, I look at the New York Times book review every weekend now um, just to see what they're doing and what books are talking about. And I'm always interested in what ads are there, but also who's doing the reviewing. And it feels like Paul, who is the the editor, the chief, the editor chief of the New York Times, has been trying manifestly to get more people of colors to do the, uh, to do reviewing. So I'd wondered if she would maybe, you know, try to use the the power of the crowd of getting people maybe that won't want to be a full-time writer or a critic, but to come in and do a really interesting job on a particular book. But um, Parul is going to take over the spot, who's a wonderful, beautiful writer and really thoughtful critic. I'm glad about that. Um, so anyway, interesting times. <laughs> interesting times. Uh, an end of an era. I mean, in yeah. my adult life, she has been the... The, um, the, the critic. The influential like critical. Yeah. Before I even knew anything, before I knew anything about literary criticism, I knew who she was. Yeah, you know? I mean, and as as much as we all, speaking of Vita, as much as we talk about um, the the whiteness and maleness of literary criticism and review coverage, that she has been the most influential figure as a non-white woman is a story in itself that I didn't really see many people talking about over the last couple of days. Did you? No, no. Yeah, um, I'm sure she's dealt with her own, you know. You know, friends and calling the stupidest person in New York, I'm I'm sure, is easier to do if if she's a woman and um, a person of color. Maybe you know, I don't know, I don't know what kind of maybe her persona and the way she dealt with the world was a strategy for negotiating her spot. I this is all supposition on my part, but I wouldn't be shocked um, if part of you know being a non-white woman in a very powerful position in a very white male world, there was something she needed to do differently than maybe we might expect. Uh, yeah, remarkable career, remarkable figure. Hard to think of, you know, in the in the pantheon of American critics, it's like Kakutani, Pauline Kael, Roger Ebert. There's not that many, you know, that 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 go on that list. But she's one of them. Um, I, I, hopefully, there'll be a monograph or a, some kind of like collection of her reviews. I, I would be. I want to read a biography. Seeing. I want. I want her biography. Like I want. I do too. I want all the stories of her like getting champagne tossed on her by Norman Mailer or something. If that's a thing. Yeah. That happened, right. Like, right. I want to know. She, I don't, 
And like apparently she had this little brunch crew with like some of some other influential New York women writers that they had been having brunch and talking stuff forever. And like I don't remember the names now, but their names I recognized. It's like, well, what is your life? Like, what is this? And her exit interview with Obama. Like, who are you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. She got that in an exit interview with Obama. That was so strange. Um, I don't know. Maybe she'll loosen up. Maybe if we maybe we can get her to talk to us. Um, I don't know. Well, anyway, uh, fairly well. I'm interested to see what she's going to do. Like, is her first piece out of the gate going to be just like a fire-breathing, you know, like, it'd be so, like, what's her first piece going to be? Like, what is it that she, uh, I guess what I'm trying to say, like, what is she leaving to do? Like, how does she imagine that to be? And what is it, what does she think is going to come of it? Like, yeah. I mean, yeah, I don't know. Also, how hard of a, hard is relative term, of course, blah, blah, blah. But like, would you want that job? No. Like <laughs> reviewing books all the time? Oh, God. My first thought when I heard that she was leaving was like, God, she's going to read whatever she wants now. Yeah. Like, like how many books did she read a year? Like also, I want her reading lives episode actually would be a super interesting one too. But like, yeah, I don't know. Like the idea of you and I used to write reviews on our own blogs. Like writing a review is yeah. hard. Did she want to it's hard to make it interesting. life like reading Martin Amos, like, is that what she wanted to be doing? Yeah, yeah I, I don't so know. I, I can also understand, too, in our political moment, I mean, this is, relates a little bit to the Morgan Jerkin story. It's like, you know, if, you, if you're a person of, of conscience um, and you want to do something that you feel like matters and you're a good writer, an influential writer, I can imagine, like, writing, writing weekly reviews of novels and maybe some nonfiction that's relevant, too. Like, I, I would feel gated, mm-hmm. I think, that way. You know, I can understand that move. Um, Anyway, all right. I guess we should do our next sponsor. Probably. You want to you want to take our you want to take us through our next sponsor? Book of the month, <laughs> Jesse. Book of the month, the BTOM, BOTM, BOTM. Letters are important. So, book of the month is a rapidly growing service, and their goal is to make sure that you love what you read. Easy enough, right? So, book of the month searches high and low every month for new books that you probably maybe would not have heard of or found on your own through your own browsing or whatever. They have a specific and special focus, especially on debut authors who, you know, like it's hard enough to find a book that, um, is under the radar that you want to read. It's especially hard for debut authors to get a toe in. Um, so you, how it works is you sign up, you browse the five best books of the month that they have picked, and then and they have a, a guest judges that help them do that. And you get your favorites, which you select, delivered to your doorstep. The pricing starts at $10. And these are like brand new, hardcover releases, brand $10. New. That usually, of course, I mean, if you are ever in an indie bookstore or bar, even Barnes & Noble, are $25 plus. Um, so it's a great value. You can delay deliveries if you don't want them a particular month, if there's nothing that you want. You can add books. So like you pick your book of the month. If you see other ones that you want, you can add those to your cart also. So whether you get You the, can make it books of the month books if you want of the month. All the yeah. books of the month. <laughs> all, the, all the books of the month. So whether you get them once a month or like once a season, of course you're going to save tons of money. And I was poking around at their selections for July and they are really interesting. And I've heard of The Child by Fiona Barton. That is not... Not a debut, I don't think, but I've been getting... It's been very no. buzzy. The Widow, I think, was... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the Windfall by Dick Shabasu, who I've 
Not heard of. Goodbye, Vitamin. I really, I, I, I saw that. I, you saw that. That got an early review in Publishers Weekly. Uh, I, it sounds okay, really The cover is cool. Um, Goodbye, Vitamin by Rachel Kong. American Fire by mm-hmm. Monica Hess, which is getting a lot of buzz. That's a nonfiction book yeah. about nonfiction arson. Title. Yeah. And then the ever-controversial Final Girls by Riley Sager. So if you wanted to go check that out, you could. And, like, if you can go onto their website and scroll back through the selections that they've had for the last couple of months. Um, in June, they had The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo, which I heard tons of great things about. In May, they had Priest Daddy, also heard great things about that so lots of great stuff oh, to pick from. i know <laughs> i know you like mm. did you listen to it on audio or did you i did okay. i have a um hardcover that's waiting for me um so yeah book of the month their tagline is bound to delight which i really love because i do love a good pun <laughs> so you can get your first book for ten dollars go to bookofthemonth.com slash book riot that's bookofthemonth.com slash book riot easy to remember and sign up thank you for sponsoring the show all right. Um, the and I, I guess we're really going literary fiction. Go, go, go up. We're we're kind of living in literary fiction news related today. The man, uh, as our friend uh, and coworker Liberty would call it, the man liquor bong list uh, <laughs> long list came out. I, I don't even know what that's a malapropism or it's, a, it's like a malapropism. Every time she says it, I lose my I lose my mind. It's so good. Yeah, it's like it's like it's a malapropism doing like gymnastics. That particular phrase, but the man Booker long list mm-hmm. uh, was announced this week. Mm-hmm. Really interesting list. Um, some books I've read, some books I've heard of, some books I haven't heard of. I guess I'll just run through the list real quick for people to hear it. Four, three, two, one by Paul Oster. Days Without End by Sebastian Barry. History of Wolves by Emily Friedland, um, which is a wonderful pickup for for that book. Yeah. Uh, which I read. Exit West by Mosin Ahmed. Uh, Solar Bones by Mike McCormick. Reservoir Thirteen by John McGregor. Elmet by Fiona Mosley. The Ministry of Utmost Happiness by Orndati Roy. Um, the Lincoln Lincoln in the Barrow, not the Lincoln in the Barrow. <laughs> Lincoln the in the Barrow by George Saunders. <laughs> Home Fire by Camilla Shamsi, uh, Autumn by Ali Smith, Swing Time by Zadie Smith, and The Underground Railroad by Colson Whitehead. Have you read Home Fire? Um, I have not. It's not even out yet. Um, is that real? I have it. Is it? I have it. Um, oh, I, I might well, have you may have a galley. Copy. I don't read galley, so it I don't know. It is... I, I ain't fancy like you. What'd you say? It's what? I'm not fancy like you. I don't, have, I don't have a bunch of galleys just sitting around, just picking oh, them up. Oh, man, book along this time. It's right, it's right, a, it's right it's here. It's like a retelling of, and now I can't remember, ah, crud. A myth? Yes, of some like ancient Greek myth, but told through the like mm. the story of two oh. Muslim immigrant families. Yes. Oh, you know I like a retold yes, myth. Yes, but I don't remember you know which I like one that. it is. And I'm looking at the Amazon description, and it's not giving me any assistance, so... Anyway. I wonder which one has fire. I know I didn't make that up. I saw that somewhere. Um, okay. Interesting. Elmet by Fiona Mosley is not out yet, and you cannot... Oh, that's the one that's yeah, not out. I knew one of them was out. You can't get it anywhere. Oh, actually, it wasn't out, and I think they 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 made it available on Kindle today. I think that may be that one. You can go oh. by the Kindle version <laughs> well, now. Well, Scramble. Which is smart. that Scramble in their office was like... Ugh! Yeah, God. Yeah. <laughs> which is such a weird... I guess they're. I guess these are all out in the UK. They have to be out in the UK. Antigone. That's it's the deal. She's not out Antigone. in the US. Oh, Antigone. Antigone's my. Well, <laughs> it's up there. It's up there. It's definitely. I love Antigone, and I I do what love a, Antigone. Like backdrop for a yeah okay yeah. Oh yeah. A contemporary reimagining um, of Sophocles Antigone in contemporary that. London. There you go. Hmm. Super yeah, I'm gonna move that one up. Um, I've read Exit West. Yes, same. I read History of Wolves. I read Underground Railroad. Read Swing Time. 
I haven't read Lincoln and the Bardo. I will eventually. <laughs> uh, that's all I've read. I've only read How Exit West. I started History of the Wolves, but I didn't finish it. And yeah, I can. I am like the one person left on Earth who has not read the Underground Railroad. I find that fascinating. I know. It's, but uh, like, I missed the moment. Like now, it's so. Yeah. Now you're playing catch up. Yeah, well, now it's so hyped that, like, what if I read it and I don't like it? Nah. Well, and also for, for work, you do a lot of work-related reading, too. Like, you, you're you not going to recommend it and get booked right now. Yeah, like, no. it's like, yeah. I mean, it's just too, it's out there. You know, it's not, it's not a discovery. So it's, you're going to, you're almost reading it for, hist- I mean, again, it's a great book. You're kind of reading it for, like, historical purposes. And the, point, the right? Roy, like, I really want to read also. I do want to read that, too. It's long. Yeah. I know that. I'm shying away from really long. But God and Small Things is so good. There's another person I'd I'd read a biography of. Because she like took a 20-year break to like go breathe fire. Yeah, to be like a huge like political activist. Huge public activist and public intellectual. Um, Yeah, I don't know. know, I don't follow Man Booker enough to know, to have a sense of like what my spidey sense about a favorite would be. I don't love that they opened it up to the US. I, I just, I don't... Yeah, a lot of people feel that way. I don't care <laughs> myself. Well, I was using the well, man as like a way before um, to yeah, find I can see that. other not-American authors to read, but now it's like, ugh, I, already, you know, I, I don't need anyone to well, tell me about Folsom Whitehead. It was this weird in-between space of the UK and English-speaking places mm-hmm. without being the U.S., so it was kind of weird that it wasn't the U.S. I almost want them to be smaller, like just the uk yeah and then i don't know like i can see was their like rationale but their colonies or something like what was the well i'd hate to I'd hate to break it to you but uh the u.s is a former I colony. Get right <laughs> i know i know i know i know current colonies. i mean i understand like i i just don't care i i was fine with it either way i mean what so we've got how many americans we have three i don't know where emily whiteheads i whitehead smith saunders smith is I mean, Hamed lives in. Oh, but she lives in the U.S. No, she's from Zadie Smith. Yeah, she's from London, though. I thought she has an accent. Yeah, but well, that's what I'm saying. Like, how are you going to do this? Like, Zadie Smith lives and works in the U.S. (laughs) Right? Like, I don't. don't, That's why I think. Like, I don't care. I think it's cool to have. I think it's cool to have a book that's like, if it was written in English, you're eligible. Like, I almost wish it was bigger. Like, books in Africa by African writers. Living in Africa, written in English, don't care. You're living in Asia, you write a book in English. Like I think that's what the. I almost want to go the other way. Make it big. Make it everything. That like would this. Be this is a weird a in between state for me. Prize to judge. <laughs> I think. Is it that much harder than this? Like I don't the know. English speaking, all of it. That's I don't know. I don't know. Uh, maybe, maybe, or maybe everything that's not. Maybe well, take the UK and US out of I it. Just read, that's interesting. I just read, to me. What is it between two covers? That like that book about yeah. uh, literature and translation, and it's so yes. eye opening about how much English is like destroying the literary culture of other yep. countries. Right. That I'm kind of like, no, no more English. Mm-hmm. Boo hiss. <laughs> well, that's what I mean. Maybe go the other way. Maybe take the UK and the US out of it and make it oh. no, everybody well, else. Well, then they've got that's the Man Booker too. International Prize, which is what that's for. Yeah, I guess that's true. But doesn't that include a translation? I don't know. Which is fine. I, I, don't I just that don't one know. As much, I guess. Um. What I would like is for giant literary organization to cater to my specific needs and interests uh, with right. literary well, prizes. Well, if that's only what I would like. you own some sort of platform through which you could. 
You know, we keep we keep trying to think about doing a prize or something, and every time, I'm like, yeah, yeah, no, nothing it burger. Really, I mean, we don't, you know, we're not going to be. We don't. Like, we don't. These, the the best. Like, we're so much about right. how obje- objective quality is not real. So. Right. I mean, again, Rebecca and I've talked about this too, and maybe you and I've talked about it. like the I, the version of the prizes that I like is to throw a spotlight on something that maybe everyone has yes, heard of. Yes, same. Like a, as a way of drawing and focusing of co- of collecting and focusing attention. I think that's. A cool way, which is why I don't like um, that they open it up to the U.S. Because like, so the books that they pick tend yeah. to be these giant blockbuster big sellers, like the Underground Railroad, and you know, it's like eh, that doesn't need. I guess to play well, it's not even Devil's Advocate. I just don't know. Like, if so, if you are living in Australia or New Zealand, have you heard of the Underground Railroad? I, uh, Oprah? I guess it depends on how big Oprah is. I I don't know. Yeah, or or swing or um um um, um, um exit west. I don't know. I don't feel like Lincoln and the Bardo. Probably not. I'm just I'm just wondering how much discovery of American books other places. But we don't does need this, I mean, I don't know. People, like we do enough. No, I just don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm asking the question. Like I, I don't know. If you're an Australian, like how much do you know about American book culture? Certainly English. You know, because you're writing. Well, maybe English you don't, language, but you don't need to. Like yeah. I feel like America would benefit from more knowledge of outside, you know, books written sure. from outside the U.S. But we already sure. colonize places yeah. with American culture so much. I don't feel like we need to do any more of that. Yeah, I think, I mean, in terms of guessing what might win, I, I don't, my radar for this isn't mm. great. Um, I think Exit West is super interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, this political moment. I think it's, it's going to be Roy. Yeah. Even uh, even not having read the book. Yeah, I no, I, I don't think I need to. <laughs> like, she's, it's, yeah, it's such maybe. A, a moment. And it hits all those, like, yeah. Not about sad English people, you know, like it's historically mm-hmm. significant. I don't know. I think it's weighty. Yes, yes, you know, the thing the thing that might be the demerit for the for Exit West is it's it's kind of a fable. It's almost. very short, also. Like it's it's short. Also, I mean, it's it's short and it's speculative, lightly speculative, mm-hmm. um, but political and interesting, and you know, it it uh, transverses. An interesting, um, I don't know, immigration route, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like the uh, refugee, which is which is cool. But so of the ones that I've read, I mean, the Underground Railroad, I could certainly see winning. I just don't know how it falls into the into the lineup of what the man uh, Booker looks for. So interesting list. I, I you know, I, I think this is one of the more interesting long lists, and some of it is the discovery point, as you mentioned. Like these are books I haven't heard of. Like I haven't heard of. Uh, Elmet by Fiona mm-hmm. Mosley, no idea. Solar Bones by Mike McCormick, no idea what that book's about. Um, Sebastian Barry, I read a book about his a million years ago and it was bored me to tears. So I'm out on Sebastian Barry. I mean, I'm sure this days without it is fine, but this book, I was like, whoa, no way. <laughs> Hard pass. <laughs> hard, pass, hard pass and it's weird that like underground road still el- i don't even know what the window for the man booker is like why is this eligible it came out like a thousand years ago yes <laughs> like, yes their year their eligibility year is so strange um but anyway because like mystery of utmost happiness came out in june and underground road came out in like march of last year or something i guess i think i think something like that. i didn't realize uh, the ministry of utmost happiness is about a transgender woman yeah, huh. amazing. Yeah. Well, now I got to go. An American won last year, so I don't know what I about that. Uh, Paul Bates is this no uh, uh, has now sold more than three hundred and sixty thousand copies. That's uh, Paul Betty, Man, he got he had like six or seven novels before his breakout hit. I mean, wow. It was really topical. Amazing. 
that seems to be like the um, thing that does it. You know? Short list of there'll be a short list of six will be announced on 13 September. I'm writing down my short list, and I'll, I'll come back and see if I'm right. I'm going with um, Roy Whitehead, mm-hmm. um, Ahmed. Um, I'm leaving out Barry because I'm biased. Um, I'm leaving out Oster because boring. I'm leaving out the ones I've never Lincoln heard of. in the Bardo. <laughs> I'm leaving. I'm leaking out Lincoln in the Bardo because I think there's going to be sort of a Highlander situation with the Americans, um, and I think Whitehead will win that. Um, I think I'm leaving out Swing Time. Really? Yeah, I'm going to put in Home Fire. I'm putting in Home Fire, just based on what you've said about it. So if I'm wrong, you lose. Well, uh, and then I'll I'm going with. <sighs> I don't. Do you have a strong sense of what the short? Any any? Did favorites? you already see Exit West? You did. Yeah. Um, no, I haven't heard of the other ones. So I like Solar Bones. I don't. I'm know going with about. Solar Bones as a wild card, just because I don't know. Because I like the title. That's my. That's my list. I'm writing it down. It's in. It's in the record. All right. I love how we both like uh, just skipped Ali Smith. Like didn't even consider. Yeah, I've read one of her books, and I thought it was okay. I how never, about you? Yeah, no. N- nothing yeah. about. I mean, for no reason other than it just none of her books have grabbed me. I'll pick them up, put them down. Yeah, that, I, I thought it was good, but I think a lot of books are good, so I, I'm not going to – I don't even know what that one's about, I, I, to be perfectly frank. Uh, let's do our last sponsor. Great. The Secret Agent Training Manual by Elizabeth Singer Hunt. This is for fans of the award-winning Secret Agent Jack Stalwart series, and there's a new chapter book series. So if you like Secret Agent Jack Saul work, this is the Secret Agent Training Manual. So you like Secret Agents and stuff. Chapter books, right? So early readers. Well, I, I, I get, that's not right. Late early readers. I always readers. wonder <laughs> like, what to call yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, it's tricky. It's not middle grade yeah. yet, right? It's like you're between picture books and middle grade. So you can read text without a whole bunch of pictures, and there's a bunch of chapters. I guess that's why it's called a chapter book, because mostly the unit is chapter, not pictures and pages of, of pictures. So uh, this is what it is. Jack teams up with his older brother, Max, to solve international mysteries using their special training as secret agents. In this is the first one. No, I'm sorry, the third one in the series. In the battle for the Emerald Buddha, Jack is temporarily retired from the Global Protection Force. I was, One last job, you pull me back in. One, I'm retired, man. No, you got to come back. Uh, Global Protection Force on a family vacation. However, Jack and Max are motivated to act when a band of thieves takes the Emerald Buddha from the Grand Palace in Bangkok. On their own, up against one of the smartest and wealthiest villains they've ever faced, can the brothers find Thailand's treasure in time? So if you've got someone, you've got a early reader who likes chapter books, likes to learn a little bit about the world, likes a sp- spy stuff. I don't know. Are your kids old enough? Spy things is like the new superhero. Yes. In my in, in Ames's little world is like superheroes are cool, but kind of like the new hotness that I want to be a spy. Um, and so I, there's, I think there's a lot of kids out there that uh, want to go into like the spy world. It's almost where in the world is Carmen Sandiego when we were kids? She wasn't a spy, but it was mysterious secret agent kind of stuff. Secret agent. Yes. Um, which I really like. So this is the Secret Agent Training Manual by Elizabeth Singer Hunt. Um, it's in a series. So you can go, if you like this one, there's some other ones. The Adventure in the Amazon and The Battle for the Emerald Buddha and now the Secret Agent Training Manual by Elizabeth Singer Hunt. Thank you so much to them for sponsoring the show. Cool tech book-related stuff to wrap up the show this week. Um, I guess George R. R. Martin's just looking for things to do not to write. <laughs> 
Well, I don't know. Like, I'm I'm very sympathetic to like he's writing a book and he's you know trying to get it out and people are waiting on him or whatever. But he's also doing a lot of other stuff. Not that there's anything wrong with that. It's just, of course, he's taking a long time because he's this is a video. He's teaming up with Neil deGrasse Tyson to work on a video mm-hmm. game and Bill Nye and Neil Gaiman and. It's like the Avengers of, of like, nerd internet <laughs> culture. It's so good. Yeah. It, could they get a woman? It, would it kill yeah, them? Well, would it? I, there's no... no I'm, I mean... Um, former NASA astronaut Mike Massimino, Charles Liu. Yeah, no. There are no girls. No. It's a, it's, a, it's a sausage You don't fest. get any. Um, yeah. But anyway, interesting. Cool. I like the idea of, like, if you tell me Neil deGrasse Tyson gets interesting writers to help him with a video game, cool. Uh, would it kill him to have a woman? I don't. I don't think it that would. Uh, Charles uh, astrophysicist Charles Liu, interesting. Uh, his team. It's going to be Space Odyssey, seeking funding on Kickstarter right now. Uh, how much money they are trying to raise? An interactive desktop experience that will allow you to create wow. and explore uh, your own planets and learn about physics. Three hundred and three hundred and thirty-eight thousand dollars raised already. There's a, only a day to go, so by the time this is out, it will be over. They've already, yeah, um, they've yeah, already met interesting. their. They've already met their goal. Their goal of was three thousand, was three three hundred and fourteen thousand one hundred and fifty nine. Is that pi three point one four five one five nine? I think. <laughs> is it? Oh I think it gosh. might be. I think it might be. I know three point one four is pi, but I don't know if one five nine or the next. <laughs> <laughs> I, think so. uh, oh, I anyway. kind of love it though. So there's that. Um, anyway, again. You, I thought people might be interested. I was hoping there might be a week left in the Kickstarter if people wanted to get it in on the early on that. But alas, oh, Mark, he's cannot. never going to finish Winds of Winter. It's not going to happen. Boy, I think I don't know if they take. Is it the Ladbrokes that that takes the weird bets in mm-hmm. England that like they have all the things like he, he had another statement this week about eh, it might be twenty eighteen. Well, it might slip into twenty nineteen. No, he's writing there's another book. An, like he's writing. There's another. That's what. That's what I'm saying, Amanda. Yeah, no. Like, no wonder he can't finish yeah. it. Like, is he just like doing evasive maneuvers because he can't literally can't yes, finish? I think that's it. I think at this point it's been built up to such a big thing. And plus, the show is already going to have an ending that has nothing to yeah. do with the book. So I think at this point it's kind of like, what's the point? Like, what's the point? Nothing he makes now. No iteration of Winds of Winter is going to satisfy people. Like, no one's going to be happy. Mm. It's been so long. I think he's just doing other stuff and uh, pretending to write Winds man. of Winter. And, you know, Neil Gaiman made this statement, well, statement on Twitter where he just said, like, George R. R. Martin is not your bitch, which is true. No, yeah. Totally true. To- totally true. And he can true. take as long as he wants. Yeah. Whatever. But he's got to know that people are going to froth at the mouth every time he announces a new project that isn't Winds of Winter. Like, Right. Don't write it or write it. Yeah. That's you. You're the artist. Do what you want. But you got to know that people are. I mean, I you. agree. I mean, I don't know. Like, I totally agree with the Neil, the George R. R. Martin is not your bitch sentiment. Yes. But I do wonder about the contract you sort of make with readers when you write a series and it's going to be seven books long and you're on book. Well, he four. intended it to be a trilogy originally, and right. then it just kept. You know, so I don't. I feel like he, it's just gotten it's gotten so much bigger than what he can handle. I don't think yeah. it's going to happen. I think Rebecca and I were talking about like it it might have been a tactical mistake for HBO to pick up Games and Thrones in general for Martin's writing career as we yeah. know it. Like he can reinvent himself or whatever. But like for him that maybe was a mistake. 
just uh, I, I'd, I'd love to know, like in a, in a very like non-judgmental way, like if he could do it over again, I wonder if he makes that deal, knowing what he knows now about what happens. Maybe he would be stuck anyway, but I, I kind of have to believe you're right that like in a way his book will be fan fiction because yep. the TV show is the canonical version of Game of Thrones, I think, right? At this point, yes. Yeah. Yeah, I think at this point it totally, totally is. Um, so I, I have a lot of sympathy for him. I, I do. I have a lot of sympathy for him. I also have sympathy for people who wanted to read his version and they may not ever get it. I, I think that's on the table. I have sympathy for those readers too, to be perfectly frank. I don't think it excuses it. Don't think I'm authorizing your bad behavior. I'm not. I'm just saying I have sympathy for feeling crappy and like being disappointed if you don't yeah. get it someday. Um, other tech thing. I thought this was cool. Did you look at this story yet already? No, and I kind of the, this, the, the audiobook the scavenger. It's hard to follow, so I didn't really understand. What yeah. Was anyway, the article was kind of all over the place because this is what the New York Times does. Because you want to know what the story is, and they're talking about a smoky voice on the phone, like rough and velvet, has a confidential matter Dude, to discuss. What? Like what? Just just treat me like an adult and tell me what tell tell me what the con <laughs> is, as Carl Reiner says in Ocean's Eleven. Just tell me what the con is. <laughs> What is this about? Basically, um, da, 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 uh, there is a new. They're working. It's kind of a spy novel audiobook where there's also a scavenger hunt component to it. So you go around New York City and listen to the audiobook and find clues to advance. And it's based on a, um, a Raul Dahl. Well, it's based on Raul Dahl that he was a British spy. And so this this novel interactive audiobook is called The Atlas um, Pursuit, and it's by David Wise, and it was released this week. It's an interactive digital novel, um, which I just think it's a cool idea. Like, Rebe- Rebecca and I have crapped on, quote-unquote, enhanced ebooks basically since the beginning of this show because, like, no one wants to click on a link to see a video of something while they're reading, you know, their ebook. But... If you did something where, like, getting out and using your technology and it knowing where you are, I'm not going to say too much more about it because I feel like some of this is kind of spoilery, frankly, mm-hmm. about what they told you about it. But I think it's a cool idea. City landmarks, which include sites figured in real lives of of of, of Neil and uh, Roald Dahl. Neil's another spy. Must be inspected in a way that Google images can't reveal. They are public spaces. So there is no law breaking required to visit them. You have to be in New York, I think, to do yeah. it. Uh, which is a little strange, but I guess you can't just be any old place. Uh, I, I thought it was a fascinating project. I'd love to know how much money this took to make. I'd like to know a lot of stuff about the business of this, because respecting it to people who will go walk around the city in New York and have uh, iPhone and a cellular data plan. Like, you know, I guess a lot of people do now. Maybe that's what people that buy books for twenty six ninety five at input bookstores are those people anyway. I just thought it was fascinating. Any thoughts about this? I don't have thoughts except Yes, yeah, I'm like, oh, okay. Neat. Yeah. <laughs> would you do would you do something like this in Richmond? Like if there was like an interactive book that you found vaguely no. interesting, like would you go take pictures of the Holocaust Museum or something downtown or go to the you know, I don't know, go to Richmond places? Like would you go do something like this as an no. outing? No. A novel I yeah, would I like think. the closest thing and I will get to that is that Richmond Civil War Museum has a an audio tour. You like pop it in your yeah. CD player and you can go 
Oh, drive, I know, player. and you can like wow. drive around your uh, drive around the battlefield, and it talks to you. Like that's okay, but I'm not gonna mm-hmm. a, a novel, novel. No, that would leaving my house for no, no, probably not. But that's just it. Yeah, it leaving has nothing your house. to do with like, the, the the equality of this idea. That's just if were we the kinds of people to leave right. our homes, were I the sort of person who yeah. ever who like did yeah, geocaching? How long does it take? <laughs> were I a geocache? Yeah, right, geocache. Okay, this would be awesome. <laughs> Alas. That involves outside. Yeah. Do people still do that? Do people still geocache? I have no idea because I never did. Yeah. So I don't. That's such a two thousand like nine thing to do. <laughs> so two thousand. It's weird how dated that feels. So maybe, maybe there's a super vibrant geocaching community. Don't at me. But um, for in in your and I's understanding of geocaching, it doesn't feel like things people. Tr- Trump has ruined geocaching. Trump's ruined it. No one's talking about it anymore. It's gone. I don't know. <sighs> I don't, if you ask me to define it. I don't even know I can tell you exactly what geocaching is. It's like leaving places, leaving things in places for people to find because reasons. Nailed there you it. go. Crushed there that you definition. go. Let's okay. get out of here. Uh, thanks for no joining problem. me. Um, thanks to Book Pop. Go check them out. Quirkbooks.com Book Pop starting now. Thanks to Book of the Month. Go to bookofthemonth.com slash bookwrite. Get 10% off your first order. Thank you to Secret Agent Training Manual. This, You know what? This would be a fun thing to do with kids. Like, what if you could take your kid, like Pokemon Go, but it's a book? That's better. That somehow? I would do. <laughs> we just, you know what? We're taking that. We're taking that to uh, Bloomsbury Kids, and we're going to get a six-figure book deal. We'll work on that. Okay. All right. That's why we're, if you don't, we don't come back, that's why, because we're, now we're making um, enhanced audio books, because that's what people want, apparently. We'll talk to you next right. week. You can find show notes to this and all the other episodes of uh, the Book Riot Podcast at bookriot.com slash listen. Email us at podcast at bookriot.com to give us feedback. Oh, I want... Literary history, publishing history, print history, history of writing, language theory by people of color. Please at me. Please, please at me. Just one specific context. What do you mean? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you you can email me. Send me links um, if you know anybody that does that stuff. Uh, And maybe maybe once I'm done with annotated for this season, if I find a bunch, that's that should be a list I should do on the site, right? Yes. Something like that. Please. Feels like something I should do. All right, we're out of here. 